0: Welcome to the Wildly Tarot Podcast. Hi, Esther. Hi, Holly. It's a very special episode. Yeah. (laughs) I am so excited for you all to listen to this episode. Me too. We had so fun, so fun, so much fun talking to Sarah Shipman (laughs) from our tarot. It was seriously such a blast. And you and I have not done many interviews. And so we were nervous. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> per usual with
1: any sort of interview, hyperventilating, making sure that we're on like an hour beforehand, coaching each other
0: through exactly. the next hour interview. Exactly. <laughs> but when the publisher of the up, upcoming released our tarot contacted us to see if we wanted to talk to Sarah, both of us are so into that deck
1: that we yes. jumped to the chance. We did. And it was an amazing time. And I'm so glad you all get to like drop in on the conversation with us because yeah. it was so good.
0: It was so much fun. It was absolutely a blast. So, anyway, hope you enjoy our chat with Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, we are here with Sarah Shipman, the creator and artist behind Our Tarot. And. We're super excited about this, Sarah, because we realized recently that Esther and I first started talking because we saw your deck posted in a Facebook group that we were both. No with. way. Yes, yes way.
2: way. No way. Y'all just just sprung that on me. <laughs> I had no idea.
1: You brought us together. You are the you one sole person. You brought us it's together. It's so
0: true. I
2: am... I am the matchmaker.
0: You really are. (laughs) And I actually found the post in this old group that someone posted it in. And it truly is Esther being like, I have seen this deck and I love it. I'm interested in tarot, but I'm like, worried about it basically (laughs) and me being like hey not to be a tarot evangelist but get yourself in here immediately let's do this thing (laughs) oh my gosh that's so cute Yeah. yeah and it's all because your original indie version of our tarot went so viral which must have been a wild experience it was um it was
2: very surreal uh so actually I have a funny story about that specifically yes. because I launched the Kickstarter kind of impulsively because I was because, um, OK, let's rewind. Let's rewind to <laughs> November 2016. Okay. You might remember that something significant <laughs> happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it's like a time where you just say November 2016. Yeah, everyone's everyone <laughs> broke
2: out into hives. They're like, oh, God.
0: Um, yeah, I get
2: it. So I had already had the idea for our tarot um, several months before that which I'll get into in a little bit. But I had been planning uh, a crowdfunding campaign and um, I don't, the angle I had in mind was a lot less angry,
0: Mm -hmm, Um, but
2: then the election happened and I was really mad. (laughs) I was really, really mad. Um, And so I kind of just launched it, uh, launched the Kickstarter really without, without much of a plan, which I don't really recommend.
0: <laughs> I know, especially if you follow Kickstarter campaigns now, they're like um, launched with the deck completely done, a yes. thousand perks, like everything is so established. <laughs> I wasn't done, as y'all well know.
2: Um, I really, really wasn't. And, uh, you know, I, I it's not that I regret it, but if I could go back and do that differently, I'm sure that I would. <laughs> yeah, um, <totally>. yeah. <laughs> but in any case so i launched it because i was i was just i was pissed off um about i was pissed off about the election i was pissed off um i think the i can't remember exactly if the me too movement was heating up at that point or if it was sort of just like a a twinkle in our eye but um there was just a lot of things politically that i was um feeling a lot of outrage about um and i wanted to lift up use my art to lift up marginalized voices on um, both women and people of color and you know mm-hmm. i wanted to come at it from an intersectional um, feminist point of view so i uh i launched the campaign and i i googled how to write a press release <laughs> <laughs> and i think i watched like a youtube a really corny youtube video like how to write a press release like it was very it was it was not cute um. Yeah. <laughs> and I I wrote one and I was like okay I'm really nervous to send this out to anywhere um, yeah. and I was like you know what I'll do I'll just send it to like something really big where I know they're just gonna delete it immediately and, and it'll just make me feel better it'll just be like, yeah. uh, like well isn't that funny so I send it to Huffington Post
0: <laughs> like let's uh, just try this
2: and um I can't remember how many days it was later uh that I got an email from a Huffington Post journalist that was like, hey, I want to interview you for a, a feature. And
0: I oh god.
2: I remember I was at work and I went to my um my favorite coworker, my work wife, and um I was like, look at this. Look at this. <laughs> you even believe it. I was like, look at
0: this. Oh my
2: god. And she it was we were, and so we like squealed and then I like called my mom. I'm like, mom, I got an email from the Huffington Post. They want to interview me. And she's like, I know what that is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've heard of them. I've, I know what that is. Well, oh my I my think gosh. that probably coming from an artistic background, like you have an MFA, you're used to hearing sort of those adages about like rejection being yes. such a huge component of getting your work into the world. <laughs> yes. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I mean, I fully believe in that I re- I've gotten plenty of rejection. So I was, <laughs> yeah. again, yeah. And I think that's part of where that's where I was coming from. I was like, well, let me just go ahead and do that. Get the rejection out of the way.
0: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Let's go big and then we can move forward. Right.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, that was really how it the viralness
0: started because
2: I would feature in um, the Huff Post arts and culture section. And I remember, yeah, I still right. have a screen. I still have a screenshot of how the Web page looked that week. <laughs>
0: It must have just been such a whirlwind too because you're like actively trying to like get a Kickstarter off the ground right. and create the deck and then yes. simultaneously I'm sure pulled a thousand different directions from people who are picking up the HuffPost article and wanting to talk to you further.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um <laughs> it was wild. It was really it turned my life upside down and it's still upside down in the best in the best way.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I love that. Well,
0: so we, Esther and I actually both missed the Kickstarter completely. So yes. that was like a huge, I think at that point I was like, I was wary of Kickstarters and also didn't realize how much of a tarot collector that I'd become, where, you know, like a $50 deck seemed really unachievable and unattainable. Right. And now it's just like, you know, I can't stop myself because I love, how every single deck is like a series of pieces of art right <laughs> so i can't right. it doesn't seem like as big of a deal now but i think right. in like 2016 2017 when the original indie version was sort of like like in the zeitgeist it brought tarot so far forward also because suddenly i think that there was sort of like a resurgence of interest in tarot generally but then having this really really like Great deck that tapped into some incredible amount of rage and need for sort of somebody to be seeing the historical context that we're currently in, just like launched tarot in general into this whole other sphere because people wanted to talk about it. Man, that's such a great
2: way to put it. Thank you. That's so cool
0: for you to describe it like
2: that. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I'm just like, oh (laughs) god, thank you. Like, I'm not, I'm like. That sounds so. I don't know. I don't know if that sounds conceited or not. No, no, it doesn't.
0: And even if it did, it wouldn't matter because you actually did this thing. <laughs> right. So you're exactly. allowed to.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because our tarot was basically my first introduction to tarot. Wow. Like, like completely. Okay. I want to know more about that. Like, did you? Did
2: I, I've been curious for pe- people who are first timers. Like, how did it help them learn?
1: Um. Well, I had. Um, just so a miniature, like, squeezing little background for me. I grew up, I'm from, I know that you live near Atlanta. My hometown is. I can tell. And so, <laughs> and so I grew up very independent, fundamental Baptist. And um, that was my, like, background was very, very strict Christian, like, cult Christian sort of thing. And I so. i to talk to you more about that. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's been a journey. Um, Very, very strange journey um so when the the podcast that holly and i met each other through where this was posted it was very feminist minded and i at that point was like an agnostic atheist and i was like oh you know this deck has lots of feminist icons that i look up to and i've been learning about and you know things like that and so like i immediately connected with the artwork and it was just so powerful and so empowering for me as a person who had not yet found their own voice and I think that's what like really um, drew me to this deck and then through that I was like oh like I only know really about tarot through like like TV shows essentially yeah, like pop nothing culture tarot. yeah very pop culture references like Little House on the Prairie I think one lady had like a tarot deck maybe you know so <laughs> it wasn't even like anything legitimate it was just like uh, cards on a table
0: Little House on the Prairie went off the air before you were even like cognizant <laughs> I know, of television I know, I know. so <laughs> it's pretty amazing that that's your frame of reference yeah. for it <laughs> so um
1: so I think that's what really drew me was the archetypes being so strong and like helping me find my own voice and like for me to have missed the Kickstarter and I'm was like, okay, I'm on this waiting list. When's the when it's coming out again? when's it gonna be reprinted? And it wasn't being reprinted, <laughs> and I'm like, why isn't it being reprinted? She said it was gonna be a year and it's been <laughs> more than a year. What's going on? <laughs> Join, and then oh, I thought it was like
0: a second email address, just in case my first email address, oh, God, master, like... that's hilarious. And now we understand that like right. the <laughs> mainstream publishing process takes a thousand years. It for takes forever. It's but horrifying. It's like and also because as the creator, you're like, I have no control over any of this. So all I can say is like please be patient. Yeah. It's that's that's a whole
2: other conversation. I mean, first of all, <laughs> Esther, my heart, like you're just oh, that just fills that just fills my heart up with joy that what you said about finding your voice. And I I relate to that a lot. Um, I feel like through the research that I've done about these women. I've learned so much more about myself. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, I still haven't found a great way to describe, to put it, articulate it or put it into words, but yeah, I mean, you know, to get really personal, like the, when I had the idea for this, like when it kind of hit me like a bolt of lightning, it was the summer of 2016 and I Mm -hmm. had just gone through like a really bad breakup. Mm -hmm. Um, I had been really, I had been in a relationship where I was very codependent with someone Um, and um when we broke up it was one of it was one of those breakups where you just feel that physical pain yeah where you're just like my stomach is hurting i can't eat i can't you know it was it was awful and um so i I really kind of threw i tried to i just threw by threw myself into anything that would distract me and um a big part of that was uh, listening to like history podcasts and just reading about um, women from history that interested me yeah and um they helped me you know they helped me get back to myself and yeah. Um, yeah that you know around that same time was when I was like what if I took did a made a tarot deck but <laughs> every card was a woman from history. yeah yeah and i
0: i think that it's i think that our instinct to reach out to those sort of like un unspoken about histories or like you know you have to go to niche podcast to find it or whatever comes from a place where, especially when we're in times of transition of our own of almost like trying to tap into that universal transition like every single person who's illustrated in these cards went through something major. And so we search out those kind of similar experiences when we're going through something major to make it feel like, you know, right. Eleanor of Aquitaine got through it. So and she (laughs) had it way worse than I did. So I should be able to do this or I will be able to do this if I can, you know, get myself to be sort of like as mindful or as self-aware as she was or whatever. So I think that that makes total sense that that'd be something that you were drawn to while going through a difficult period. But I'm assuming you already were reading tarot regularly. If that's sort of like. I was. And the
2: the irony there is that partner that I, that ex-partner that I'm referencing actually gave me my first, well, not my first tarot deck, but um, I had a tarot deck when I was a teenager that disappeared and I always, I always thought my mother had like found it and taken it away because um, like like you asked her, I grew up in a kind of a conservative Christian family. So I thought mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought my mom had found it and was like, this is witchcraft and threw it away. But <laughs> she says she doesn't remember anything like that.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. She's okay. like, that doesn't sound like me. And you're like, I was your teenage daughter. So I, mean, I think. Well, I also, I
2: did lose things a lot. So <laughs> it, could, it could be either. It was like a miniature Rider Waite deck. So it was okay. very tiny. But um, in any case, I remember I didn't really understand it then. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, I remember when I started dating this person, I asked him. Uh, I was still, I was still, um, I still had the superstition, like, that you shouldn't buy your own tarot deck at that point. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm not, I don't subscribe to that anymore. But um, at the <laughs> time, I was, like, I, I was, like, dropping hints. I was, like, will you get me, um, I, I think it's pronounced the Thoth deck, the, the Alistair Crowley oh, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I have mixed
0: feelings about Crowley, but. That's one. Mm-hmm. don't even get oh, don't Esther get me started. started.
1: <laughs> don't get me started. It's fine.
0: That's we understand part. each other. Yeah, you know, I'll take you
1: guys are... and we can we can dunk on Crowley. <laughs> okay. <for> <laughs> <another> <laughs> podcast. That's gonna be um, the one, title, <laughs> Dunking on Crowley. Literally, Crowley.
0: once we suggested doing a Crowley episode, and Esther wrote like a five hundred word, just like rant? raging <laughs> rant. About he doesn't him.
2: deserve it unless it's a dunking on Crowley. Yeah.
0: Exactly. <laughs> okay,
2: sorry, we got sorry really a
0: <laughs> but so <laughs> he he followed your hints and got you a totem deck. Model. Yeah, he got
2: me a thought deck. It, honestly, part of it was part of being kind of in a codependent relationship that I was like drawing cards a lot, being like, "What does he feel?
0: Oh, What's yeah. going on? Uh-huh.
2: What should I do?" And you know, for other things too. But I mean, that was a big reason why I like, why I learned
1: tarot. Right. Okay. To yeah.
2: be quite honest, <laughs> but but also it was you know, it was fascinating. I mean, like, like you said, I have an MFA in, um, in fine art uh, and I've always been very interested in like symbolist painters. And I definitely found the histories and the symbolism
0: interesting. Totally. Yeah. Has your style always been sort of collage style or is your medium typically outside Uh, of that?
2: Yeah. I've used collage. I would say, I remember, I remember in high school I went to an art camp um, and I I found I kind of found out about collage like I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous but (laughs) oh no
0: not at all I just
2: I guess I thought I didn't really understand what mixed media was until I went to that camp I remember I went there and they were like yeah you can like cut out pieces of paper and glue them down and then paint on it and I'm just like what (laughs) i can i don't like it doesn't have to just be an acrylic or oil painting on a canvas yeah Uh i was my mind was blown um (laughs) so pretty much through college i've always i always incorporated collage into a lot of my artwork i also um in grad school in particular i focused a lot on performance and video work oh cool um, which also Ended up focusing a lot on it was more autobiographical history, but it definitely okay. focused on history. Um, and actually, I sorry, I'm going. <laughs>
1: that's okay. No, take us with you. Yeah,
2: take us on this journey. <laughs> I just uh, for the introduction in, in the new book and the new guidebook that's coming out. Um, I write about a project that I did in graduate school where it was a, it was a performance piece based on an experience um, that my great grandmother had as a child. And it's a, it's a story that I grew up hearing all the time. And what happened was, um, my great grandmother, when she was about twelve or thirteen, I think she her mother had died, and her father remarried um, to a woman. My my great grandmother's name was Rosalie, and my um, Rosalie's father had remarried a woman named Emma. And for some reason, um, probably probably because you know the the man. I don't want to say probably I know that the, the father in this picture was kind of a, a dickhead. Um, <laughs> there was, there was resentment between these two, these two oh, uh, yeah. okay. women.
0: And like, I don't think
2: he was doing anything to
0: help that situation. During, I would guess that your great grandmother's time period, there was no, yeah. you know, motivation for a man to try to make any woman in his life's life a little bit easier or more smooth. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so,
2: there was resentment between them for whatever reason. I, I don't I don't know that part of the story, and I know that Emma uh, one day was so angry that she went to Rosalie's closet and cut up all her her fight her nice dresses,
1: <gasps>
2: and um, so that was just a story that I grew up hearing.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And um, so for this performance, what I did was I took a bunch of my old clothes, and then I also got clothes from my friends, and then I got some from thrift stores too. I cut them up, and I sewed this this 20 foot long uh dress um that ended up becoming like a restraint when i put it on so i put it on um during the performance or i already had it on and i was uh blindfolded and i had to like find a pair of scissors that was planted in the performance space and cut myself free and also while i'm doing this i was um i was just really focused on that that memory like that intergenerational memory um i like really tried to occupy that space of like anger that must have existed between these two ladies and um it just uh i remember the first time i performed it i just like burst into tears during and uh it was like an outer body experience i remember i was like thinking to myself oh my god i'm crying right now like i feel like i'm in communication with my ancestors and it was it was wild um and so yeah like that that was re- that's really one of the first times that like history has melded with my work um and
0: and it's kind of it's pretty much continued to to i mean till now I think the last thing that I heard was the 20 foot train.
2: Oh yeah, I made, okay, so I made a dress that was 20 feet and it served as a restraint during the performance. And um, oh, yeah, so I, I, during the performance I was blindfolded and I had this dress on that was, um, I bolt. <laughs> the end of the dress was like sewn up and I um, attached it to like this bolt in the wall of the performance space. So I was okay, just, okay. I was, it's, ser- yeah, it was like the dress that was also like a leash
0: were your feet like within the dress? Was it like a baby? Yeah, like a, yeah. It was like a oh, it was like cool. a onesie that like captures your feet. I don't know. How, I don't know. What oh my gosh, called. that must have been really visually arresting.
2: Yeah, it was. It was weird.
0: Um, but
2: <laughs> during the during the performance, I was trying to focus on that emotional space um, that I felt like my great grandmother and her stepmom were probably occupying of just rage totally. and sadness. And so during the performance, I started crying and I was like screaming and I, you know, there's, there's, I always joke that there's two types of performance art. There's like the scary kind and the funny kind. Uh (laughs) I always want to do the funny kind, but I end up doing the scary kind.
0: (laughs) It seems like you have sort of like a need for an outlet to kind of get across some frustration and like. I, I
2: you know that was that was a really significant time that a historical person touched my artwork um yeah, you know yeah. it was it was a my ancestor but um it was a it's still in the context of history and it was you know totally it was yeah. the early 20 it was the 1910s that that happened um so it was in the context of like this Edwardian aesthetic
0: totally mm-hmm. i have some ancestral sort of like lore about that era too that's just so wild like the way that <laughs> children were treated is kind of astonishing that anyone even spoke to their parents after the age of, you know, majority, I guess (laughs) just like, Oh, you really didn't see your children as humans with needs. Did you? (laughs) Well,
2: People just didn't know about, um, I mean, I don't, I want to say it was really, I want to say during the 19th and then early 20th century was really when our concept of childhood.
0: Yeah. And what
2: it is now. And then also we didn't know about attachment until, Decades after that. Right. Totally.
0: But even just with like dipping, like industrialization leading to less infant mortality, suddenly they're like, oh, we have these small humans (laughs) rather than like, right, (laughs) just more transitory figures, I guess, in people's lives. Yeah. I guess that's like a whole separate thought process.
1: (laughs) And I know before we started recording, you mentioned kind of just your process of. You you said that the cards kind of made themselves known to you. And I'm really, really curious about that since. Yeah. Who was the
0: first? Oh, gosh. Where did you even start? Um,
2: I don't remember. There's two that I think came to me around the same time. So I'm not precisely sure who exactly is the first. Um, Emily Dickinson and Joan of Arc um, kind of arrived in my thought process about the same time. Gosh. Okay. And Emily Dickinson, I knew would be the hermit just because of her agoraphobic like tendencies. And mm-hmm. at first I was <laughs> like, is that is I was like, is that too like on the nose? <laughs> but, but then, you know, I thought about the hermit some more and the hermit just isn't about like staying at home. It's, it's, it's about introspection and um, there's a, there's a spiritual component to the hermit that I think yeah. Emily Dickinson embodies incredibly like just it's on it's it is it's on the nose so I Mm -hmm. I don't feel bad about it
0: or anything right so there's like a point where it being so relevant becomes like which is why it has to be used but I think that that's like one of the things that's so interesting about your book because we were sent copies of the new deck and book in preparation for this I am completely astonished by the care taken for each of the cards like you know, three page little chapters, like the amount of like thoughtfulness and depth that you're going into is really kind of amazing for a book like this. Yeah.
2: um, One of the requirements to making something like this is you have to be um, a a crazy nerd. (laughs) Um, You like I, I mean, so, you know, I've done I've done the independent version. And now I've done this um, traditionally published version. And basically, both times I did it twice, like the first time I wrote the book. And honestly, I, I now that now that I've written, the basically rewritten it, or rather written a whole new book, I look back at the old book, and I'm like, Ugh, Oh, God. Oh. I <laughs> but you know, it's fine. But rewriting this new book, uh, I, 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 di- I, di- I dove into my research um, so much more than I had mm-hmm. before. I mean, I thought I thought I had before. And I, I'm not saying that the work I did before was I don't want to say it's bad or anything like that it's just that um my editor definitely really pushed me to like she made me connect my research and my art in ways that i just I just hadn't
1: before.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, if yeah. that makes make
1: sense. And, and, oh, it does because it's so evident because um, the book itself is a stunning piece of artwork. Oh my gosh. Each card has its own Amazing. full page and it's just so beautiful. So you can actually see detail in the card itself and the things that you've, the small little things you've put into each card, but also you so seamlessly blend the history that is so meaty, meaty, I didn't want to like meaty, <laughs> like a beer, meaty, um, but also the tarot itself, like the yeah. the way that you blend the archetype and the meaning of the card for yourself and adding in questions that are for introspection is just so breathtaking every chapter. Like, I've been personally using this as like a one card a day sort of draw and as like a small like morning devotional sort of thing. Because, you know, that's sort of practice because I want to get to know each of the icons in this deck. And I find myself like almost crying at the end of every single chapter because of the way that it's just so meaningful and the research is just so solid. So you so can definitely good. tell that this is like a graduation from your last year. Yeah I went
2: um I went whole hog with the research. I've just, I've, <laughs> I just' I thought I had been on JSTOR. Uh, you know, a lot before, like academic (laughs) databases, like, because, you know, I have a graduate degree I've done, I wrote, I wrote a thesis once way longer Uh than my thesis. Um, It was written in much less time. And, um, and it's way longer and more intense. It was it, it almost killed me. And it was totally worth it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is totally worth it. Because I have every single time I open it, I'm like, wow, this is like, something like this is something to spend time with in a way that I think that like, not like all decks are beautiful. Obviously all of them are a lot of work for the artists who are creating them. But this is something that's so special because of the historical component and the like ability to really get to know these women. And also in some ways you as the artist, because you're picking up on these nuances of people's characters that are like giving so much information about Sort of what's important about these people to like you as a modern person looking back at them and it just feels like i think that that's like the interesting thing about any historical decks is that it doesn't feel like it's necessarily his like history focused because the content that you've written goes into so many good questions to ask yourself at the end of each segment that it's like both the really intense amazing historically researched part and then the contemplative part is just so compelling also that it's like a really good balance of both of those things
2: right and that's uh, that's such a great way to put it again you're so you're so good at this (laughs) you're so good at this
0: (laughs) you know i that was
2: that's really the fundamental piece of the project is that i wanted to use tarot tarot archetypes but make this these abstract ideas much more real in 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 the mind's eye of the reader yeah whoever is using it um and that's not that's not to uh to to use what to say dunking on like we did before. That's not to dunk on like <laughs> traditional tarot or any other kind of tarot deck. Um, it's not like you can't get things out of that. It was just that it just it felt really important to um ground these concepts in, I guess I want to say real life.
0: Yeah. And
2: I and it's not to say that these like spiritual archetypes alone aren't real life because they are, but. Um, I wanted to show the. I wanted to demonstrate their connections um, and how those have already played out.
0: Yeah. Mm. And I can I I mean, does anyone mind if I give a specific example? <laughs> That's <laughs> fine. One. OK, so I last I've been so Esther's been doing it as sort of a daily devotional thing and inspired by her. I've been doing that, too, because I think that, like Esther said, it's a really good way to kind of get to know these women and also not be totally overwhelmed by trying to like, you know, gather your thoughts about six people if you're doing a big spread. But so I got the Eight of Swords the other day, which is Georgiana Spencer Cavendish. And so obviously I think that the surface level understanding of an Eight of Swords relates to sort of that lack of control. But the transition that you make between the history about her life and her like financial debts, being in this really unhappy marriage, having all these sort of like external locuses of control impact her life so much is really brought to a head when you transition into the sort of like I guess contemporary what you can think about right. what you can think about when pulling this card when you're talking about the specificity of being caught up in circumstances beyond her control which is her unhappy marriage and of her individual creation which is the debts that she's accumulated. right It's just like, not like it kind of is helpful because I only knew her, like I am a big um, Edwardian era romance person. Like I love historical romance. It's something we talk about on the podcast a lot. Oh good, (laughs) oh, I'm so happy. I'd, I'd like heard of her. I knew she was this sort of glamorous, like, you know, fast running, uh, like society person. But the idea of like utilizing her in this position of not having any control, both because of things that are happening to you and things that you're doing to yourself is so well established with this character. And it goes so much deeper than her just being this really fun party animal with kind of a tragic like personal life. It's like she did this to herself and also it was something external to her. And I think that that transition of being like, especially for a card like the Eight of Swords, like think about the areas that you put yourself in this position and the areas that you had no control over because that's how you can sort of like sort through these issues and kind of get out of the Eight of Swords energy. And it just is like, that card was the first time where it was somebody that I knew very little about where it just like struck me as like, this is the depth that that this deck brings because it's using historical figures is that you're not just seeing sort of like the initial one note reaction to what, you know, this card means, you're sort of looking at the nuances of an actual flawed human. Yeah. It
2: becomes, I mean, you can apply it generally, but it becomes really specific. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There might be things specifically that you can relate to about that person, but there's also going to be things that people don't, but that doesn't make it any less relevant. Totally. Right. Right. And you know, to your, to, to go back to something you said about doing a spread, um, I'm more interested to talk about that because yeah uh you know when I when I read with my deck <laughs> there's 83 women who live in my head <laughs> 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 when I read with this deck it's um there's just like I just word vomit I'm like you know Georg- Georgiana Spencer oh my god she <laughs> she blah, blah 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 and then yeah so you know, I can go on about Elizabeth the 1st and um mm-hmm. and Queen Victoria and Harriet Tubman and just you know Uh, I, that's, that's something that, uh, I guess I get worried about is I'm like, am I going to overwhelm people?
0: (laughs) Oh no, not at all. I don't, yeah, (laughs) I was going to say, so while saying that when you're like, right now I have sort of card, like five cards spread out in front of me. And I do think that the artwork is so effective at kind of like evoking specific feelings and energy that if Mm -hmm. you can't, if you don't have the time or the bandwidth or whatever, to like go into each and every human as individual people who deserve our time and energy, you can still get a really good reading because the art is so evocative that even if, yeah, I just like, I think that it can go both ways, but because like we're such giant history nerds, (laughs) we're wanting to go into each person individually in more depth because... We, I mean, I wanna know everything about all these people. I wanna to get to that point where all of them are in my head with me too, because yeah. they're so, it's so cool to think about not just like Marie Curie, the founder of radiation, but also like her personal life and how that was something that she was trying to exert some sort of manifestation and control over. Like, it's just kind of cool to give that space for these people. And since they're historical figures, there's a yearning for that also. Right. Um. You know, it's so, it's so funny
2: that you bring up Marie Curie because one of the, one of the reasons that I wanted to use her in particular was her love story with Pierre.
0: Mm. Yeah. I just
2: thought it was so sweet. Yeah. And I wanted, I wanted some love stories in there. Like, I'm like, okay, some, you know, (laughs) sometimes it's fine.
1: (laughs) yeah yeah
0: <laughs> it's part of the human experience so even if it's not the goal of the deck it yeah. has to exist in some
2: way because during you know this deck has seen me through like multiple relationships at this point so mm-hmm. you know uh there's been times that I've come at it from somebody i've been I've been coming at it from someone who's in love and then coming at it from <laughs> like the bitter single woman um, and then coming at it from like the excited single woman um like just different points of view there. And, um, but, you know, I feel like, and that's, I think that's good because, again, like there, there are some love stories there and then there's some like more, there's definitely stories where it's like, no, this person didn't, doesn't need. Apart, partner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I totally. think that's really
1: something that's unique about this deck is that it's real life people. It's not anyone yeah. that's been kind of glistened up for a camera, you know, their history hasn't been padded to make people happy. It's- They're not people, the people, Exactly. That kind of brings up a question that I had is like, what icon kind of surprised you the most while researching their story? Like you went in with one thing in mind and then they completely blew you away, I guess.
2: Oh, God, that's a good question. Blew me away okay so do you mean a positive or negative <laughs> it, it doesn't matter
0: <laughs> i want to hear both, yeah, oh, both you. Okay. You know,
2: be nice but
1: like whatever kind of came to mind with that
2: well okay i mean i think that that brings up the issue and this is this is not an answer to your question yet but it's it's related <laughs> um the issue of not all the women in the deck are people to that i would celebrate yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i guess my my example that i usually bring up for that is wallace simpson Mm -hmm. Um, she's the knight of swords and um so researching her was really interesting um me and my editor went back and forth a lot on our research because you know in in the independent book when i wrote about her uh and I'm still kind of, I'm still of the opinion that she's, a, she was a Nazi sympathizer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's like the first thing that comes to mind when I hear her name.
2: Right. She, yeah. I think of Nazi sympathizer, Nazi sympathizer and someone with an eating disorder. So she <laughs> right. right. Um, and not that that's uh, inherently bad or good, but she, I think she like was very outspoken about, um, she yeah. said that she said she famously said you can never be too rich or too thin. So it's you know right, a harmful exactly. thing to say. A toxic person is what yeah, I'm right. trying to yes. to describe here. And you know to what extent her toxicity um, was is kind of up for debate. And that was something that um, I dove into a lot with my with the research for the second book because I really wanted to figure out that answer to that question. Uh-huh. Um, and I definitely. Answered it more fully. I don't know that I answered it conclusively. Um, I don't. Basically, I'm of the opinion that like a lot of people um, of her class and station, she was she was definitely a Nazi sympathizer. I don't. And she met Hitler, and there's a famous picture of her just smiling and shaking hands with Hitler. It's just yeah. it's absolutely disgusting looking. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, um, I think that. She was probably ignorant of a lot of things, but that's her fault. Um, right. And also, like, the knight... You know, the knight of swords is, like, my least favorite tarot card, and that's probably why I made <laughs> for that. Because, to me, the knight of swords embodies, like, an asshole energy. Okay. Um, like... Destructive. Kind of, yeah, the kind of person who's just like, hey! Like... <laughs> But like, screw all y'all. Like, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. <laughs> like, yeah. you know that that's the kind of energy that's embodied in that card. And you know, there's a there's an other side of that where sometimes in our lives, not necessarily hers, maybe in hers, but not necessarily, um, you know, that there's sometimes that we need to do that. That mm-hmm. we need to just yeah. be like, you know what, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. Right. Yeah. Um, right. And so that's a message that is in that card too. Yeah. And you know, to be fair, if she hadn't appeared in um, King Edward's life, or you know, David is what she would have called him, if she hadn't appeared in David's life, he wouldn't have abdicated and you know, um, the King of England would have been like this not- Nazi sympathizer during the like, yeah. World War, which of- which doesn't seem mm. positive. No. <laughs> I think it's safe
0: to say it wouldn't
2: be. Yeah, I don't think it would be positive. Um, you know, and there's there's a, I go into this in the book, but there's evidence that uh, the Third Reich, like if they imagined that if they won the war, that they would put him back on the throne, sort of as a puppet king. Oh, oh interesting. Okay. So and yeah. w- and we kind of don't know whether or not he knew that. Uh huh. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know. So again, like I said, there's more information in this new book, but does it answer the question conclusively of like how much, how much they knew, like in their mind, how deep did it go? It doesn't really conclusively answer that.
0: Mm -hmm. But I actually, I think that brings up a good, uh, interesting thing to me is that it's like, you couldn't successfully create a tarot deck using all historical figures. If you tried to only have flawless people depicted. Absolutely not. Like, yeah, there's just no way there's too many archetypes that have negative components to say even these cards that are more difficult or cards that you know we that are indicative of struggling or strife or Mm -hmm. whatever need to have these sort of flawless individuals be their depiction but i also feel like it must be hard to i i mean i'm assuming i haven't seen this in regards to the deck but i'm assuming that some people's reaction would be how dare you know yes. Sarah include this person
2: I have had I have had that happen i um, not as much as I was afraid of when I mm-hmm. started this but um there have been questions and usually it's pretty quickly resolved when I say yeah. hey like I'm not I'm not including them necessarily to celebrate them mm-hmm. um as people it's it's to I mean you know and Show there is the a point to be made that I am still elevating them in some way so you know that that's fair um but i think that i think especially in the context of the political climate we live in now it is important to talk about say wallace simpson's uh nazi tendencies
0: right and how like as a white woman in her time period it reflects so much of how white women weaponize our own Mm -hmm. privilege and like hatred in some ways now like that's not something that's stopped absolutely (laughs) i mean as awful as it is we know that that's true And so including her and saying like, this is why she's included is helpful, but you're totally right. It requires some explanation for some people initially. I wonder, yeah, I feel like that would probably be the major one, but also you've redone a lot of the cards from the indie version to the traditionally published version. So you probably could have a chance to sort of explain those a little bit. Yeah, a little
2: over a third of them are are different. Um, Some of that was, well, most of that was for just me wanting to do something new. Um, with yeah. some of them, and then some. Some of that, honestly, was um, I this being traditionally published is like from going from going from an from an indie deck to traditionally published when you're working with collage and especially images of actual people mm-hmm. that's a big crash course in like fair use and like rights of
0: publicity. <laughs> yeah like
2: because I was coming from a fine art background where it's like you can make a collage out of anything and they're like it's fair use yeah uh-huh. right that's that's this whole legal like gray area where like a judge would decide basically if I if what I was doing was fair use or not I don't want to do that mm-hmm right in any case, some of the cards changed because of like issues with like getting somebody's estate to um, agree to like, allow, you know, agree to you yeah. know, being represented in the deck or something like that. That was, right. that happened a few times. Um,
0: it's so interesting because I think that that's like the part, I mean, so I, yeah, there's like some stuff that Esther and I have <laughs> been going through and are going through with sort of our own tarot stuff with the inner, and the- Esther, you can obviously cut all of this, but the intersection between like, like this is spiritual practice and this as business, especially when you're dealing with, you know, big organizations, like we have no control over whether or not <laughs> we can utilize some, like it can be, be the most meaningful thing in the whole entire world to us. And it doesn't really matter in the context of like traditional publishing or whatever it just matters if it's like legal for them to if use the lawyer you know
2: if the lawyer at harper collins is like no you can't use this then I yeah just, I, can't, I can't use it like, but then it's-
0: because it's like a spiritual community who's like the uh, i guess recipients of the things we're doing it feels so disingenuous to be like, "Oh, for legal reasons, we have to change that." I know,
2: and that's kind of why I was like, "Oh, I kind of hate saying this, but it's the truth." Like, yes. Yeah.
0: Just- and I think more and more people are starting to understand that, but there is this component of like maybe the tarot old guard who thinks like if you're not doing everything purely only out of spiritual connection to it, then it's somehow false. But yeah. It's like. There's no ethical consumption under capitalism. There's no way to write the most perfectly spiritual, enlightened book that utilizes other things without somebody sticking their nose in and saying, "Like, actually, can you not?"
2: <laughs> and into and to that point, um, even the the women that quote unquote replaced others, um, I still I still felt incredible about them and like still Mm -hmm. felt these the connection to the archetypes that um, was very suitable Uh, (laughs) suitable that's like
0: a pun (laughs) nailed it (laughs) um
2: yeah you know and so a a third of them are different and again that was uh so there were there were areas where i had to do all new research you know i wasn't just like going back into what i already had had done Mm -hmm. i was Just uh, opening up new Pandora's boxes.
1: (laughs) Were there any cards that were more difficult to find an archetype for, or that you, like, you had it would have looked down to maybe two or three people and then decided to go with one? Was there that sort of thing that went on, or did, like, every single person kind of come to you?
2: Um, Most of the time, honestly, it felt like they were coming to me, which um, I have a story about that in a minute, but uh, I want to say. Off the top of my head, the um, the keeper because in in my deck we don't I don't I don't have kings I have keepers and so <clears> the keeper <throat> of Pentacles um, in the new deck is Sarah Breedlove also known as Madame CJ Walker. Oh, what a perfect choice! Right, it, it's it's a, she's absolutely perfect, but for some reason it took me a while to arrive at her.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean the King of Pentacles is always a weird figure because so many of the things that make it a strong unique archetype are things that we that i personally don't love about people like sort of that ambition and control and all of those sorts of things
2: yeah and, makes sense. and so i think exactly for those reasons i was like well i want it to be somebody i kind of actually do like yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are some cards that i'm like okay well i don't i'm okay with this being a person i don't like but then there are some cards that i'm like i want it to be somebody i kind of like yeah, and so for Keeper of Pentacles, that was definitely one of them. And I remember, me and my editor had like a, I think a few names in mind, and then um, she had found this other article about C.J. Walker that I just really loved. And I was like, you know what, this is this is it. This she's the one. Um, so there were there were a couple instances like that, but for the most part, I really felt like these women were especially early on like when i made it the the deck the first time i felt like they were sometimes they were talking to me which mm-hmm. i i'm not um i'm a, i'm i'm spiritual but i'm a skeptical person so like yeah. when i hear people say things like that i'm like yeah right yeah. <laughs> but yeah there were just a lot of instances where i remember especially um there was this moment i was at work and i just i wasn't even thinking about the project and then it just occurred to me like eleanor roosevelt is the keeper of cups like Mm
0: -hmm. oh
2: okay like i was like i'm thinking to myself why and i'm (laughs) and then it was it was like i just had this thought like she is she just is like you don't know why yet but she is like yeah (laughs) and i'm like okay eleanor like all right like yes yes ma'am like yeah
0: seriously (laughs) all right eleanor if you want to be here so badly yes mrs roosevelt
2: um so there were instances like that where it just like hit me and i'm like okay i guess that's definitely it. And I'll figure out why that is. But um, and then especially sometimes when the artwork artwork would come together, it would just be I would just zone out and um, suddenly I was I would have the card done. Um, That was especially that that happened in particular with um, with Mary Shelley.
0: Okay, I love that. I literally pulled that card out because it is one of my favorites. It's so beautiful. It's one of my favorites too. And the reason is because
2: I remember I made it and it's, it's, it's a lot like the story of how she wrote Frankenstein where she like had this dream and it was like a stormy summer night. (laughs) Um, It was like a stormy night and I was up late and I just, I remember I started, I remember starting on the collage and it was, and then I remember it was finished and it, it just appeared, it was just like, oh, there it is. And it just, fe- it felt sure. like, it just really felt like she had, um, her hands on mine in that, in that instance. Oh, it was very, it was so beautiful. It was wild. Um, she was somebody who I just really enjoyed researching again. Um, her life. She was so young was when she, so young. Wrote she was so young. And you know what? It's so funny. Cause Lord Byron fit, factors into two of the cards. In fact, she, he factors into her card, and then also Ada Lovelace because Ada Lovelace is Lord Byron's daughter. I hate Lord Byron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that probably comes through in my writing a little bit. I don't know how, uh, I think I tried to tone it down to be like, you know, <laughs> objective or whatever,
1: but.
0: You're like, you don't have a place here, Lord Byron, get out. <laughs> Please get out of here. Like,
2: I'm like, why do I know so much about you? There's so many men in his, there's so many men in history that like, I know a
1: lot about that. I'm like, ugh. Uh-huh. yeah Henry. The, you Hen- don't deserve the brain oh, I know. space and yet I, you're here <laughs> i love that his like um not i keep my brain is not i'm like victorian edwardian no it's henry the eighth because you included like two of his wives and his daughter tutor history there we go the tutor okay <laughs> so i was about to bring that up and that's
2: really funny that you do because in the indie deck there were more Oh my people! You know there were more women who had been touched okay. by Henry VIII, and um, <laughs> no. you know, literally and figuratively. And like, yeah. <laughs> um, there was a moment where my editor said to me last year, "She goes, Sarah, you're talking about Henry VIII again." <laughs> <laughs> and that's oh that's something that I joke about frequently with people that I know and people that know me because. <laughs> That's one. That's something. That's a sentence that describes me a lot. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I I don't know why I'm so obsessed with him. He was such a weirdo and
0: yeah, such a weirdo, such a weirdo. Yeah.
2: Very very interesting asshole. A really fascinating yeah. asshole. Um, but you know, he there are all these women that are adjacent to him that are so fascinating. Oh yeah, totally.
1: I was obsessed with Catherine of Aragorn and so I was like or, or sorry, Aragorn. Aragorn, um, Aragorn is from Lord of the Rings. Hilarious.
0: <laughs> I love that Aragon, Catherine of Aragon. I wish, I wish she was I know an
1: Aragorn,
0: but I know so. her life would probably have turned out a lot better if she was aragon like with I Aragorn. Absolutely, of- I oh no!
1: I, sh- I shipped her with other people in his court, and I was like, please, can you just sleep
0: with the other people? You'd have a successful life, but yeah, just, no. just somebody <laughs> have else. Have you? This is like a side thing, but there's a podcast called Rex Factor and it originally started as rating the kings and queens of england from like the very beginning to the modern era and that sounds incredible the, it was so their audio quality in the first couple of episodes is really bad because i think it started in like 2011 or something oh, like wow. it is an old podcast um but it's really really great and they just finished all the consorts because they wanted to do the queens and like you know concerts or whatever and they had to do like 7 episodes about Henry VIII. Normally a king would get one, maybe two episodes <laughs> and Henry VIII is such a disaster that it was just like nonstop He's Henry a disaster
2: VIII. but you know he's iconic and yeah for better or for worse just he changed I mean he he yeah. changed the timeline of like of so many things like
0: like modern religion i mean i was a raised episcopalian so even that
2: level just all these political and spiritual ramifications of his life um and you know he wasn't even supposed to be king he was a second son right Right.
0: and he doesn't deserve space as much as he gets in apparently (laughs) in my brain honestly in In my brain brain.
2: (laughs) in my brain to begin with um but he's there and (laughs) i i could probably we could we we could do another podcast just about that. About me, ta- about me talking about the tutors. There's literally, I've literally been on dates, like first dates where I've drawn a family tree of the tutors.
0: <laughs> that I is hilarious. It. Hey, that is a really good way to get to know if somebody's like down yeah. for your type of nerdiness. It's a litmus test. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. That's hilarious. It's kind of like if you bring up tarot to somebody, you're like, "Well, if you can get down with me talking about this thing I'm passionate about for, yeah,
2: a while, absolutely,
0: at... tarot or astrology, yeah, things like that." Oh yeah. Oh my goodness! I just read a book, and they one of the characters was an astrologer, and they never gave her big three throughout the whole entire book, and That's all I could so think really- was like. You need to tell me. How am I supposed to understand this character? Yeah. <laughs> also, if she were an astrologer, she'd be talking about it all the time. Should we all say our big threes? Sure. Yeah. Aster and I both have some uh, duplications, but go for it, there. I'm a
2: Leo sun,
0: Virgo moon, Libra rising.
2: Oh, okay. I'm Leo
1: sun, Cancer moon, Cancer rising.
2: Oh, I have a, I have Cancer Venus and Mercury, so I understand your that you have feelings.
1: <laughs> I have lots of feelings because my <laughs> Cancer in, is also in Mercury. My like literally every other sign is has something in Cancer, and I'm just yeah. like, oh come on. I, I need get advice from you about how to. live. I don't have
0: any Cancer in my chart at all, but my sun is in and my moon and rising are both in capricorn
2: wow so you're just like are you practical like do you, does that track or
0: ah, uh, yeah i mean i think so i think the thing that actually defines my personality more is my mercury and gemini because i am constantly trying to like synthesize what other people are saying and make sure that everyone's on the same page and i can always kind of like see i mean seeing both sides now has bigger ramifications i don't mean like i understand people who have deplorable thoughts but i'm always trying to like get people to see things in new ways like the gemini just comes out so hard absolutely yeah (laughs) and actually my mars is in gemini too so okay so you
2: have a lot of gemini there
0: I guess just in those two, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty earthy. Like my, I have not had very much trouble not leaving my house throughout the whole stay at home order. Okay, Like I'm good. Yeah, (laughs) I've redone almost every single room by just moving furniture around kind of compulsively, but. (laughs) That's fun. Yeah. Love that. Okay, cool. So you both have some Leo sons though. That's funny. Yeah.
2: And you know, um, I remember growing up reading like, the horoscopes in like 17 magazine, I was always like, I I mean, I'm creative and artistic. And that always came up with Leo, but it would also talk about being like, really gregarious. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I can be when I'm talking to, um, you know, great, great ladies like you, or (laughs) or like my close friends, but um, I'm, I'm honestly pretty introverted. And so Mm -hmm. I never really until I, it wasn't until I understood that astrology like your natal chart is a whole thing um, yeah that right. I didn't really understand how Leo related to who I am um and now now I, I'm always explaining to people like yeah sure you have your sun sign but like I need to know your moon <laughs> and your rising sign and I, I need to know where your Venus and Mercury are yeah right, exactly
0: right. yeah for Esther she's oh, I, I think mine. like I and, and, yeah, science. Esther does not identify with Leo at all. And the no. funny thing is that, like, we're in a partnership, obviously, through this podcast. And Esther's cancerian nature of, like, climbing deep into her own shell when stuff gets stressful <laughs> yep. is something that we joke about all the time. I'm like, Esther, I see you. Oh <laughs> like, I'm in mean my shell.
1: Please knock I'm being attacked right now.
0: I'm being attacked
2: by that description. <laughs> I'm being personally <laughs> yeah. pulled out.
0: Well, and it's easier for me because my mother and my sister both have sun signs in Cancer, and my partner's Rising is in Cancer. So I'm I'm very adept at Cancer placement maintenance. <laughs> <I> understand, Crabs? <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. I totally, totally understand. Um, and yeah. then the Gemini Mercury is like, "Hey, what's backing you? I see you retreating. Get out here. Let's do something." <laughs> you know we identified like with our
1: astrology big three stuff what was a card that like you kind of have a special more special connection with in the deck than others and I won't tattle on you it's just a secret between us three.
2: Oh, okay <laughs> um gosh that's really hold on let me think about that for a minute I mean I think there's I think there's like a couple multiple answers I think that so, Emily Dickinson was the first one, but Joan of Arc was, like, the other first one. And mm-hmm. I don't want to say that... I don't want to, like, compare myself to Joan of Arc, but I just... I relate a lot to the idea of having, like, an idea about your purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And just kind of pursuing, like, ending... You end up pursuing that, like, no ma- kind of no matter what you do. Um, yeah. Or, in her case, that's what she did. And um, I relate to that a lot. And then... I don't necessarily like see myself in this card, but you know, I think about the chariot, the Harriet Tubman card, Tubman card yes. a lot because, um, for, for like personal strength, I think about it because I just think about what she went through. Like any, anytime I'm like stressed about anything, I'm just like, yeah, but Harriet Tubman, like, you know, <laughs> got escaped slavery like through in the night through the woods, like, so and you know she also like had these episodes where she would go unconscious, yeah. As well and like have these visions and she still did all that. And then she also was a spy for the Union Army in the Civil War. Like I'm just like you know what, I'm fine. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like what I'm going. I
0: through. didn't even know about the vision, like the more mystical vision components right. of her until I think maybe this year. I don't know how it came up, but I was like completely surprised by that. Well, there was a
2: recent biopic um Harriet that came out that
0: it was from like content surrounding that
2: yeah and you know I I saw that movie and I liked it um I I I can't remember I didn't like love it as much as I wanted to I can't remember exactly why I think it was like I think I felt like they just had to this is kind of the problem with a lot of films about people Mm -hmm. is that they have to like gloss over so many aspects of somebody's life yeah right but one thing i liked that they did is that they took her point of view about her visions which she believed that they were visions from god
0: yeah Mm -hmm.
2: and that's that's the point of view in the narrative is that they are visions from god and um i liked that they did that because it's respecting her point of view totally i remember the person i saw it with she was like well i wish they had sort of like given us as viewers like another option (laughs) <laughs> I'm like I'm like no. Which- I don't
0: think that's necessary.
2: Like Yeah, yeah
0: I understand that instinct because yeah. I do think that people have so much sort of like religious trauma surrounding Absolutely. the idea that God speaks through people. Absolutely. Yeah. Some more than others, but yeah, that was how she was experiencing those. So it's nice to have them there. Yeah, and that's how she yeah, it's exactly. It
2: just I felt like that was respectful to how she would have um how she did talk about them. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that about the film and Yeah. But yeah, I, I think about her a lot, um, in terms of just like what tarot cards are just really special to me. Um mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if there's like I mean all I all of the I mean Queen and then all I'm okay, so back to the Tudors, like Queen Elizabeth <laughs> the First. Yes.
0: <laughs> Here they come. <laughs>
2: yeah, well I mean I made Queen Elizabeth the First the wheel of fortune because yeah. her life Okay so she's she's an icon. Um she's the most iconic monarch England has ever had, but her life was just so up and down and that's yeah um, that's what the wheel is like. It's just mm-hmm. it throws sometimes you're at the top of the wheel and then sometimes and then you're riding it down like a Ferris wheel. Yeah. And her life was absolutely like that. You know, she's born she's born a princess and then she's declared a bastard and then like she's in her father's good graces again and then he dies and she's um she was molested by um her stepmom's husband, and uh like and then her sister like is like maybe gonna kill her and then yeah, she's gonna, seriously. And, and and then she's the queen, but then you know people are pressuring her to do these things and there's and she had this super long reign where you know there were some disasters, uh, you know, Mary, Queen of Scots comes to mind. And then there were these great victories like the Spanish Armada. Spanish Armada. Exactly. Um, and so I, I I think about that idea a lot of like life being up and down because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, everybody's life is crazy right now. Right. But, uh, I guess for me personally, um, you know, if something Stressful is happening I just I just I'm able to remind myself even more now after doing this research about people like Elizabeth
0: that those things are temporary yeah yeah that's so beautiful I think that it's just like that's what puts this at the exact right time to be kind of getting back out into the world is that it's really helpful for us to remember that like Like, there's not a lot that we can control, but there is still something. And every single person in this book had a moment where they felt like they didn't have any control and then were able to become more self-actualized through working through that.
2: Yes, yeah.
0: Because that's just the human story. It's just so cool. Yep, absolutely.
2: I think this actually goes back to your earlier question about like finding things out about people that blow you away. Mm -hmm. Um, And not necessarily that, I guess, I don't know if blown away is the right word, but with Abigail Williams. Um, so she was one of the, she was also one of the early choices too, that came to me very, very early on where I was okay. like, okay, Abigail Williams has to be the devil.
0: And um,
2: <laughs> well, the reason, and, you know, that sounds funny, but like the reason for that is because I didn't want the devil to be um, like a, a, somebody that I could point out and be like, that's an evil person because she right. was a kid. Right. right. She was a kid and that's, and that's kind of the point is that she was a kid in a, in an oppressive environment. And... So just, just
0: sorry, oh, just sorry. to give a little bit of context about yes. Abigail Williams, for yeah. those Oops. of you who can't place her, Abigail Williams was, um, the child who sort of like instigated the Salem witch trials and so like as a very overly simplified version of what her history is, but that's the context that she's from. Absolutely. Yeah. She, she
2: and her cousin, Betty, um, were the first who were quote unquote bewitched,
0: um, and then they
2: <laughs> they started saying that uh, people in their community had come to them in their in their projected forms and you know done done bad things to them. Yeah, yeah. And usually it would usually it was they would point they would point their finger at people who they had heard bad things about from the adults in their lives because it was was often along like political and like community conflict lines you know you know somebody somebody was trespassing on another person's property lines
0: we had a really interesting conversation about that with our friend claire from black in the moon the creator of antique anatomy and Uh, She has like sort of a Victorian aesthetic, but she's Canadian. And she was saying how the Salem witch trials never really impress her because it's (laughs) so clearly like all political motivation. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like you want to talk about witch trials, go to Scotland. The Salem witch trials, while very upsetting and damaging, were so clearly based on like, you know, very specific sort of regional politics situation. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely, and you know, I guess what's impressive about it is the ability for all these girls to wield so much power in a world where they have no power.
0: Totally, mm-hmm. and that's right.
2: and that's really the crux of it. I mean, they, I, I, my opinion, and you know, I think that this is a pretty well-founded opinion is that these these girls were acting out um, yeah, in yeah. the face of a, a traumatizing situation, particularly Abigail, because she had. Um witnessed her parents um, ki- be killed in a conflict with local Native Americans um, like years years earlier um, and you know she she came to live in the house of her uncle and um you know, we don't like have any of her firsthand documents. we actually lose track of her in the timeline of history when she's about like sixteen or seventeen. Mm-hmm. but you know, as far as her being the devil card, I just wanted it to be somebody who, first of all, didn't really have a face um, to us. So yeah, yeah, we have we don't have any drawings of her. Um, we don't have any portraits or anything like that. Again, like like I said, we lo- we lost track of her pretty early on in her life, and um, I wanted the devil card to be about getting caught up in in like a force mm-hmm. and just
0: feeling. Like, you're in a tumbleweed. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think the lack of control is so key there. Like, she was not in a position of power when she started having these, like, you know, acting out moments. And she maintained not being in a position of power as she lost complete control over it. Right. Yeah. Because it's like, at, at, at what point
2: after you start that, um, and, you know, in in her it's hard to get inside her head because she's coming from a, a complete, this completely different culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think about being 11 years old. And if I were, if I were doing something like that, if I were, basically if I were telling a lie to my family, like, and if it got, it started to get pretty big, at what point would I try to correct that? I don't know that yeah. I would. No. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think I would have, the the skills to be able to do that and you know if the the adults around me are encouraging it Mm -hmm. i mean it would almost it would almost feel like
0: not having a choice at at that at that point totally so it's both that she had no control and also that she sort of like could I don't know It's just it's sorry somebody just rang my doorbell also so I'm slight I just got distracted in the middle of a sentence but I do like Esther actually pointed that card out as one that she wanted to talk to you about because of those things that you identified yeah I'm glad. and it's totally true because she was not going to be able to like fight back against like when Samuel Parrish is like you know getting all defensive of his position and there's all of this like evangelism and puritanical thought processes like she was so in over her head absolutely and that doesn't make what she did like excusable but it also speaks to that component of the devil where it's like there's not a full understanding of all of the ramifications of decisions or lack of decisions that we have absolutely yeah yeah
2: you know i wanted to also represent her in a more truthful light because i think of course, I I love The Crucible. Um, that's actually how I found out about Abigail Williams. But in The Crucible, of course, she's portrayed as like almost an adult, and mm-hmm. she's very yeah. sexual. Um, it's not as it's not historically accurate. It's it's historically accurate in in terms of like the zeitgeist of what happened, the spirit mm-hmm. of of what happened, but not in its particulars. And um, so, as far as the connection to The Crucible. Um, the arthur miller play slash movie um in this in its spiritual sense it connects but as far as her, i i wanted i wanted to show the truth of her as a person and not her as this sexualized like femme fatale yeah because yeah. that's not who she it's was so she was a kid
0: easy to put that on people like historically i mean i think that that's like arthur miller really doing a disservice to the entire story. To- yes over sexualize this person but it's also a tale as old as time that the woman like who's unable to control her physical urges would <laughs> cause all of this stray. chaos
1: yeah <laughs> right. and I like even think about you know when I was 11 years old and I would get positive positive affirmation from adults like it would make me want to please them even more oh
0: totally and
1: she may not have even realized the repercussions of what she was saying I mean I know we've said this but like just the everything it's like okay well i'm just going to point at this person again because they liked it when i did it last time and i want to yeah. get that affirmation especially when her parents have not been in the picture yeah. you know and that's very traumatizing for a child so to get adults on her side and encouraging her and giving her the affirmation is just so huge but we just don't think about it because you know of course history with women it's been you know written by predominantly white men and you know they've made women into not, i don't want to say like witches but like that this alluring yeah. like eve not eve character like lilith more more of a lilith you know archetype where you know seducing adam and things like that so all
0: these powerless men that are wily wily women can right just manipulate you know they
2: the logical the logical rational powerless man yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. i'm sorry <laughs> no
0: you're totally right no it's
2: fine um yeah Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. I'm really glad that we brought up the devil, though.
0: Uh, It's just so good. But I think that that's like, I think the reason that I feel like our listeners will want this is because there are so many moments where you're pulling a card and it's somebody that you know very little about that you're just like learning so much about and also connecting with. And it's cool. Like, I just think that's a really unique and cool way to experience history and also spirituality and using tarot like it's such a good intersection
1: and the intentional like intersectionality in this deck is just blows me away like yeah every page it's just so beautiful and they're like even including Marsha P. Johnson and like that was so meaningful for me like I like intentionally went to go read her entry and just like cried because it was just so beautiful and just the way that you wrapped it up even with the terror archetype was perfect. Yeah. yeah, I'm so glad that you liked
2: that. I she was somebody that I had wanted to include in the indie deck, but I felt like my research about her at that time in 2016 was um I it was it was a quite it's it's this is a tricky thing about writing um about women in history and about in putting them in in this category of, of gender about as women. Um mm-hmm. because uh, the word transgender didn't really exist until pretty recently, right? <laughs> right so, right. like, um, I don't—you don't, don't want to put that label on people that didn't put it on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Marsha—Marsha never described herself as transgender specifically. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, in 2016, I was like, well, I don't want to put her in a category necessarily that she wouldn't put herself in. Mm-hmm. Um and then later as I was researching for this this new incarnation of Artero um I did more research about her and I came to the conclusion and I basically say this in her entry that um you know scho- scholars who study her basically they they describe her as gender at least g- at least gender nonconforming mm-hmm. um but in my opinion because of the things that she went through, she experienced so much of what it is to be a woman anyway. Yeah. That, um, that I'm comfortable putting her in the, in this, in this group of women.
0: Mm Um, well, and I think another component is that in 2016, the conversation about, historical figures who didn't use the same language that we did to describe themselves was different than it is now. Yes. Um, And so I think that now I understand why then it would be a little bit like concerning, but now we sort of just address that we don't use the same language. And so we're operating under, you know, cultural context and the people who knew her to say these things. And that was the
2: other thing is like, I, I read more accounts of people who knew her and I'm like, okay, like, you know, Marsha P. Johnson is a woman I don't feel I don't I don't feel wrong saying that Um, yeah I don't feel like I'm disrespecting her memory Mm -hmm. by saying that I think that she would be fine with it she might also add something like it doesn't matter because she said the p in her in Marsha P Johnson she said it it meant pay it no mind in terms of her gender yeah Yeah. I love that so much much. right so I think she would just be like yeah sure yeah (laughs) Yeah. And that's, and that's good. And that's cool with me. And I think for the six of swords that tracks because the six of swords is sort of like leaving behind things that don't, that don't serve you, that don't matter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I always love the six of swords when people focus on the interpretation of being a decision to do that too. Like not just sort of like. It's an active to you, but an active choice. Yeah.
2: It's an active one in, it's an active card in, in the, In the midst of a lot of inactive cards, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it again. Um, But yeah, you know, that traditional representation of a person in a boat.
0: Yeah. um,
2: It it always looks to me like they're sneaking away in the night.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Right. Um, One of my favorite depictions will just always be from Druidcraft, where it's like the face of the people escaping and they just look so... Empowered and enthusiastic, and I just love that depiction of the Six of Swords. It's oh like, yeah, that's great. Just like I'm doing this, we're doing this, mm-hmm. we're going. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> let's get out of here, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What else? Sorry, we're, getting so- <laughs> we're getting solar panels installed today, and the people just arrived. Uh,
1: <laughs>
2: no. Heck yeah, you're gonna get that sun energy. Heck yes,
1: that's the goal. Oh, yeah. That's the goal. I love that card too. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you're going to exactly. get that
1: Rosetta Tharp energy. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> Which is kind of a miracle so because Esther almost always universally hates Sun I cards. almost,
1: like, almost every Sun card, and almost every single deck, I'm like, why? So, <laughs> wait, like, do you like mine, or? Yes, I do. I love yours. <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I was drawn to your deck, was that uh, Sun card. So that's so cool. Yeah, oh, you know what? Her Hers was a story
2: that kind of blew me away when I researched it more, because... I didn't, the first time I wrote about her, for some reason, I didn't find out about this, the, her wedding that she had in, like, a stadium was uh-huh. like, a concert. <laughs> I don't know how I missed that the first time. <laughs> or maybe I didn't miss it, but I, I don't think I wrote about it. Uh-huh. Um, but the second time around, I did write about it, or at least I, I know I researched it, and, like, I was just, like... You're such a you're you're crazy, <laughs> like, like like lady,
0: you're
2: you're you're wild. Like she just had <laughs> they this they like... charged
0: two bucks an attendee.
2: To yeah, attend <laughs> like just come to my it's concert like... wedding that I'm gonna have oh on stage? like you're. <gasps> She's so she was so cool.
1: Embodies the sun, definitely. I love it who's barking
0: that's my dog
1: (laughs) so many feelings (laughs) we
0: normally we so we record at uh 5 a.m or at six wait 5 a.m yeah 5 a.m your time yeah Uh
1: because
0: that's like early evening slash I guess not early evening like like 9 p.m my time sometimes so which works really well for both of us because my dog is still asleep and whenever we record when my dog is awake this
1: happens oh so many feelings She's uh, your dog she's has a pit bull and
0: it's like one of those situations where we didn't too. mean to get a guard dog, but mm-hmm. she serves. As that
2: function. I have a pit bull too, but she's one of the not guard dog ones. She would just, if somebody broke into the house, she would just be like my new friend.
0: Hello. Yeah. That's how Mac is once people are in the house, but when they're just walking past, she needs to tell us that they're she's there. like, Hey, Hey, alert.
2: There is a person.
0: Yeah. But once they've stepped foot in, she usually, unless they're scared of her, then she gets a little bit like, what's your deal? And might bark at them a couple times, but she just loves people so much. She's such a a ridiculous dog.
1: (laughs) What's the name of your dog, Sarah? My dog's name is beans beans. Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) I don't know why I named her
2: that. Uh, I just looked at her and I was like, your name is beans
0: and
1: that's the way it is <laughs> my my dogs are both have korean names and one of them is potato in korean so oh it, that's so
2: cute <laughs> i look yeah i don't know why i'm like i just want to name my animals after food i guess oh
1: all of our snakes and reptiles are named after food and i'm not even joking
2: <laughs> it would be so. more appropriate if i like had named her after a historical figure uh you know i could be like yes my dog is Named after, you know, the the princess, blah, I don't know.
0: Like, <laughs> Joanna of <laughs> Castile, but. Yeah. No. Beans is beans. much better. <laughs> I love beans. That's so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've kept you for a long time. Thank you for giving I, us so much of your time. I do want
1: to ask, so what's next? Oh. Do you have any future projects yeah. that are, you're working on? Because, of course, we want to know immediately.
2: <laughs> I mean,
1: I wish I had a better answer for that. I, uh, no. <laughs> not. <laughs> Not,
2: uh, not anything that I can tell you about.
0: Oh no. Okay. Well, Secrets. we'll just keep an eye okay. on your Instagram then. <laughs>
2: yeah. Just keep, keep an eye on the social media. Um, y'all can find, again, like you said, you can find me on Instagram. I've actually, uh, started using TikTok to to, okay. you know, to be with the children. Yeah. Um, like, he- hello, ch- hello, Gen Z. Like, I'm yeah. of- nothing yeah, has made not- me feel more like an old lady.
0: Then, um, oh, but it's just like so lighthearted. I mean, I, I guess it depends on which TikTok you end up on. But <laughs> I finally talked Esther into it because I was like, it brings me more joy than any other social media.
2: <laughs> the algorithm on TikTok is incredible. It's right. It's so good. Uh, it's so good. So yeah, I just I've gotten on TikTok. I'm Our Tarot on Instagram and TikTok. Um, OK. So that's where you can find me. And then my website is our hyphen like a dash tarot.com
0: transitioning to the outro (laughs) oh yeah 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 okay fine okay so that's our show (laughs) don't forget to send us your questions we can find you can find all of our contact information at wildlytarot.com and we are running low on questions during the summer hiatus so if anything's going on love life whatever we can talk about that yeah
1: exactly
0: and oh and you can find all of it at wildlytarot.com i guess i didn't actually give the url oh i didn't remember okay i don't know i thought you said it maybe not
1: Oh, well, it's, it's good for a second time. They, it's going to just ingrain in their memory even more. And as I tried to say before, also tell your friends about us and review us. It helps us grow. We really appreciate it. We just got past 100 reviews and I'm so excited. Ooh, woo-hoo. <laughs> so maybe we will get ahead of podcasts that stopped like four years ago and in, in, in the ratings. I know.
0: <laughs> I know that we're unique. We don't talk about cards in long form ways. But yeah, some of the tarot podcasts that are ranked way above us have not put out a new episode in years. And we do this religiously. (laughs) Exactly. You can also follow us on Instagram at Wildly Tarot Podcast or join our Facebook community or Discord server, which will be linked in the show notes.
1: Yes, and also we have a Redbubble shop with lots of merch. So if you like our face... If you like our quotes, if you just like the dumb things that we say all the time, go find
0: our merch. It's there. Yep, it is. And remember go forth and tarot wildly. We love love you. you. (laughs) Bye. Yay.